This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Live. Geek Nation. Geek Vibe Nation. Nation. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation. As always, I'm your host, Tia Fabi, and today I have my lovely co-host, Brittany Hegel. How are you this morning? I'm good. Long weekend, but I'm ready for the Sunday. (laughs) It is gorgeous here in New York, perfect beach weather, so I hope whoever is listening to this podcast gets themselves to whatever beach you feel like going to because it is too beautiful to miss. Um, So this morning we were supposed to also have Kelly join us, but she is uh, at a barbecue today, and yes, I'm calling her out on it, but it's perfectly fine. (laughs) (laughs) But it's all right, Brittany, we got this as always, and what we're doing today is the top 10 moments from Amazon Prime's The Boys. Now, Brittany, you unfortunately weren't on our review show, so I decided to do this top ten, which is perfectly fine because I will pick any time to talk about the boys. Um, Before we get into our list, I just wanted to ask you, you know, what were your overall thoughts about the season? I I had a... I'm trying to think of the word for it. I had a preconceived notion of what it would be. And what the first moment, like in the first episode, which I'll touch on later, I was like, oh, it's cool. You know, they're trying to bring them down. I underestimated how dark it would be and how gory it would be. I underestimated a lot of things because it was like straight up like an HBO show, like Game of Thrones. I was like, oh, my God, what am I watching? I mean, I enjoyed every moment, but but when I started watching, I was like, this is not anything I thought it would be like, but in the best of ways. Well, I had really desperately wanted to see this show because the trailers looked awesome. But I was very um, trepidatious because there had been two other shows that I had been excited for, and both of them let me down. So I was uh, stepping into the boys with caution, pretty much. We're looking at you, Veronica Mars. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just no, no. Um, But, you know, and the thing is that I – freaking loved this series. I love the concept of it, that it is superheroes gone bad, that they are not these, like, goody two-shoes that we thought that they were going to be. I saw some criticism of the show was that there weren't enough good superheroes. And in my head, I'm like, all right, I didn't ever read the comics, but I'm pretty sure that was the premise of the comics. And from the trailers alone, you should have kind of gotten that you know, message across that, no, you're not going to see a Captain America or a Superman who is these bright and shining lights of optimism and heroism. That's not the show. It's, the whole premise is that they're all assholes and they're all into their fame and, you know, they use uh, humans kind of as collateral damage. And that's the point. So if you're looking for something else, then 
there are dozens, if not 20 or whatever, uh, superhero shows for you to pick from. So if this is not your thing, that's fine, but don't criticize the show for that because that's not at all what it was even intending to be. It's kind of like whenever uh, someone is like, this thing doesn't do the thing I thought it would, and I'll be like, but it says clearly on the box that it was made for X, Y, and Z. (laughs) Exactly. So that was like my big thing with some of the criticism that I saw is that that's not the point. Like, it's gritty and dark. Um, and maybe people thought that they were going to see more of, like, the superhero fighting and everything. If that's the case, then I would suggest going to, say, re-watching, I guess, some of the uh, Netflix Marvel shows, or even if you have DC Universe, watching Titans. I mean, that's gritty and dark, but still kind of within that realm of superheroes doing good things. So if that's what you're looking for, then go there. But... Don't go to the boys. That's pretty much what I was trying to say is that this is not the show that the superheroes are the good guys. They're not. Um, But I guess I talked just a little too much about that, um, and this is the top ten. So let's get right into it. Brittany, you know you got the number ten slot. I think I I was trying to sit and think of which way I wanted to organize it, but I think I'm going to go with episode one and go ahead and get it out of the way. Robin's death, the catalyst for all of this, is Mm -hmm. the entire time when I first started it, I was like, oh, I didn't really see her in the trailer. You know, that's cool, though. And I was like, oh, they have such a sweet relationship, her and Huey. And how quickly, no pun intended for uh, exactly that reason, it happened, I was like, okay, why is everything slowing down? Oh, there's suddenly blood on Huey. Oh, there's a rib cage floating through the air. And then seeing A-Train just completely covered in blood, and there's blood everywhere. And I was like, and I think what I like most about that scene, I'm going to kind of skip forward a little bit. Nobody ever thinks about what if a hero did run through someone. Like, their powers are so powerful you think about the flesh, if he he totally could run through someone, you would think he would be, like, you know, quick enough to avoid them. But Robin getting ran through by A-Train was such a shocking moment where I was just, like, appalled. I was like, did this really just happen? And in front of him and, like, the sheer amount of blood and gore. Like, <laughs> this show held no... Uh, did not hold back at all when they're like, you're on this ride now. This is what you're going to be experienced for the rest of these eight episodes, so you better buckle up. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I had myself on mute. Um, no. Um, <laughs> well, you know, because I didn't want any background noises obstructing or whatever, but I should preface that this is the top ten moments from the boys. Not best, not worst, you know, we're not categorizing as that. It's just like the top ten moments that we want to want to highlight. And this is perfect yeah. to start off because it's what started off the whole entire story. And I knew from the trailers that she was going to die. Like, that was Huey's um, motivation throughout the series. 
but I didn't expect to have such an attachment to her in the short amount of time that she was on the show because she was so cool, you know. She comes into Huey's workspace. They have that, like, really adorable exchange with each other, and they're talking about moving in. And I was like, wow, I really like this girl, and I know she's going to die in, like, two seconds. But as you said, it was so quick. There was no... Um, building up to it at all. At one moment, they're kissing, and she's insulting Billy Joel, and Huey doesn't even get to finish his sentence before just, you know? And it, is what, and it is what I loved about this series is that it really touched upon the almost plot holes that we kind of accept in our normal superhero shows and movies, because no one ever thinks about The Flash or Quicksilver being able to do something like this. But it is probably perfectly possible. And A-Train just ramming through Robin, and you at first almost don't really know what's going on because the shot is focusing on Huey. And then you suddenly see all the blood just in the air, and A-Train covered in it and I think what he said he's like I have to go I have to go I have to go and just set off and poor Huey just Robin Robin and looking down and you just see her arms are still like there as he's holding her hand (laughs) (laughs) I think I blinked that part out of my mind I totally forgot that happened even though I think that I forgot her arms right next to I think I was just like holy shit what happened (laughs) Oh, my God. I felt so bad for Huey. I feel like that entire first episode, no one really kind of regarded the fact that his girlfriend was killed by this superhero because even the news report and uh, A-Train's, like, minor apologies just was so incredibly insincere. He's like, I'm so sorry, but I was, you know, running to a bank robbery. And how does that... Um, you know, uh, make up for it at all. And I have to point out something that I pointed out in our review show, but you weren't there, Brittany. So it's just kind of hilarious to me. And again, I think they did this on purpose to be uh, insulting and just a commentary, whatever. But the fact that they give Huey a settlement and they said that they're going to give him $45,000 for his pain and suffering. And his father is like, you know, Huey, that money could really help us out. And I'm like, you guys live in New York City. What is that going to get you? Like, people in New York City can't even be making that a year in order to survive. So to me, I felt like that was such an insulting number to say, hey, your girlfriend was killed. We're going to give you $45,000. That needed to be at least $4 million, if anything. I mean, bought was such a huge uh, money-making corporation, and that's the figure that you came up with? Uh, When I I saw that, I was like, I thought it would be like, you know, uh, of course, in the millions would be more like what you would think it would be, but at least like maybe 400,000, you know, it was like 45,000, because even me, and I live in Arkansas, it's like 45,000, what? What? 
Yeah, it was just ridiculous. The whole thing was so incredibly insulting to Robin's memory. And I was like, I'm sorry, girl, but that's what they think your life was worth. And uh, poor Huey. And Juwan even pointed out during our review show that the funeral alone was ex- is expensive. So you give the guy $45,000, like, I-, I don't know. That's just, I was missed at that, completely missed. But I think that this is a really great way to start off the podcast because, as I said, it essentially started off the whole entire story. And obviously we'll get to that as we go further into this, um, this uh, top ten. But thank you, Brittany, for uh, reminding us of poor Robin's death. <laughs> now I'm sad again. <laughs> um, so I guess my pick is going to be a little later in the show. But uh, as we said, these lists are never really kind of in order. We just kind of go with it, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm taking something that's kind of at the end of the series, and I guess I should have, again, prefaced with saying that there are going to be spoilers, obviously. But it's going to be the last episode of the series with Huey rescuing Frenchie and Mother's Milk. Because, first of all, it was such a great scene to kind of see Huey really... First of all, I have to say, I really liked Huey this season, right? I thought completely that he was going to be one thing. He was going to be kind of whiny. He was kind of, you know, we saw that he obviously had a problem standing up to people, and I thought that that was going to essentially stay the course the rest of the series. And then, you know, we obviously had the rough and tough boys with uh, Billy Butcher, Frenchie, uh, Mother's Milk, and he was going to kind of be like, not the lame one, but, you know, the lame one of the group. But he really, like, got into it. He had heart still, but and I just loved it. So I love seeing him kind of risk everything to go rescue Frenchie and Mother's Milk when Billy Butcher had essentially abandoned them because Billy was so wrapped up in his own mission of revenge that he couldn't even essentially be bothered to help the two men whose lives were turned upside down by Billy roping them into this mission. But one of my favorite things of that scene is that Huey goes to get them, but he essentially gets captured as well and gets locked up. And Frenchie, who is such a wonderful character in this series, has this speech to Huey where he's like, you did all this and you still got captured and we're all still probably going to die. I can't think of um, of a, 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 oh, God, an action that was so useless and all this. Oh, I my God. <laughs> I, I'm completely ad-libbing that and not saying it verbatim at all, but the way Frenchie said it was so hilarious. He was essentially telling Huey, like, you're so adorable to teach Huey that you did all this thinking that you were going to be some brave dude, and it was all for naught, and that's amazing. But then you saw that Huey obviously had a plan, and they ended up getting out, and that was great. So, you know, I'm looking forward to season two, seeing Huey really just surprise everyone because he – 
seem to continuously do that throughout the series. So that's maybe my number nine pick. And Brittany, um, you can kind of tell me what you thought about that and also what you thought about Huey's development throughout season one. I I do think it's great, especially for his development for Huey to save them because, like you said, at the beginning of it, I was like, man, I was like, not a, I had a moment where I was like, I don't want to watch another story of some weenie kid that's like, okay, you know, like uh, Shia LaBeouf in uh, the yes. first Transformers movie? Wait, wait, wait. I, I, have to, I have to interrupt you because that's exactly what I thought Huey was going to be. I really thought he was going to be another Shia LaBeouf from Transformers. It's like... I'm trying to stop saying like, but that 90s kid in me is having a moment. But uh, that's what I was afraid of him being because I was like, I don't want another story of, like, this kid. You know, and anime has that a lot, too, where they're just crying and whining the entire time and the development doesn't come until later on. And you're just, like, more focused on the other characters. But I actually found myself really liking Huey, and I like that as she goes through and, uh, you know, with certain people's death in it that we'll touch upon later on, and how he's getting over his PTSD of Robin dying, how, you know, he's de- he's kind of, like, evolving. He's becoming that tougher character, and it happened a lot shorter of a time, and it's almost like Robin's death was the catalyst for his development, where he may have been a weenie forever. He may have been this character's, that like his father said, he's like, oh, you, that was never you. That was never you. You're not that guy, which was really depressing. So for him to come in and say Mother's Milk and Frenchie, who are way more experienced than him, they have so much more under their belt. And I mean, Mother's Milk, look at him. That is the biggest mother ever I've seen, and I <laughs> love him. And I know you love Frenchie. I love Frenchie. So for me, for him to be the one to say it was like the um, – the, it was the the peak of him reaching what he needed to be, and how quickly it happened was very exciting too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm totally with you that I thought it was going to be one of those theories that I was going to enjoy mostly everyone else's stories, and then anytime say Huey was around, that I was going to feel like, okay, let's rush through this. But I didn't want to rush through it. I really ended up liking him, and I'm going to probably talk a little later because I felt the same way about Starlight, that I just enjoyed his story. I enjoyed his character because he was able to still keep his humanity and not be jaded like Billy Butcher, but still able to then kick ass and, you know, be brave and not be whining and complaining the whole time, as you said, like Shia LaBeouf in Transformers. I mean, I was so worried about that. I was like, this is what we're going to see. It's going to be another case of this, and I'm just going to end up not liking this guy. I feel personally insulted by Shia LaBeouf in that because you know how much I love Transformers, and then you get screaming and crying the entire time. So for a new show, I was like, man, it's already ruined before it starts. I'm going to be skipping his parts, but I actually enjoyed watching his parts. And I will say that for anyone who's listening, I have really liked the way Shia LaBeouf has transformed throughout the year. So I, I don't know what happened with him that suddenly he, I don't know, stopped playing the whiny little person in everything, but great. 
Awesome. <laughs> we'll take yeah, it. We'll take it. We'll take it. I will. Yeah, Frenchie and Mother's Milk, fantastic. Um, you know, characters. When we were doing the review show, Juwan was just completely just not liking Mother Milk's name at all. But you actually pointed out a great um, explanation from the comic as to why he's even called that. So why don't you educate us a little right now? If, if I remember correctly, it's because in the, in the comics, you're either somebody that gets in uh, Compound V in them. Was it Compound V? That's what it was called? Yes. The mother, if, they're, if, if it's introduced to them while they're pregnant, and give birth, it's like the child has a 50-50 chance of either being a super or being deathly sick, like having cancer or other such things, and the mother faces the risk, too, of, you know, having that in her system. I don't know if she can develop into a super, but I think it's something that has to happen as an infant. Well, mother's milk, as a child, he was a super, but he was so sickly he had to keep drinking his mother's milk for, like, much longer than a normal child has to because it was the only thing keeping him alive because I think it was that she had, like, traces of compound B in her breast milk, so he had to feed from her longer, and that's why they called him mother's milk. (laughs) Which I love that. Um, There's one scene in the series where Huey, I think, says to him, oh, that's your real... No, he goes, that's a nickname, right? And he goes, no, my mother put this on my birth certificate. Like, so sarcastic, and I love that so much. I mean, their whole dynamic, the boys, they really picked some great actors to put in that mix and have that chemistry with each other. So um, that's going to be my number nine pick. We're going to shoot right back over to you, Brittany, for the number eight. I know I keep going down the line, but I actually really like Starlight's uh, audition, like her introduction, because the entire time when you're watching the trailers, you feel like, oh, all these supers are bad, which I, I feel like that's almost like a commentary, not exactly, but you think of racism where they're like, oh, all these type of people are bad, but this one, per- you know, and it's like you need that person to be like, she's something different. She she's not like what you expected or the preconceived notions where it's like all supers are bad and you're like no they're not all bad because look at Starlight she really actually wants to be a hero and seeing her go through her audition where I love getting to see her power where she lights up and you see all the lights going crazy and she's like oh I'm so sorry you know and she is just a sweet powerful character and getting to see her with her mother and training. Because at first I was like, man, I'm going to hate this girl. Like, I literally remember sitting there. But going through her audition and how actually genuine she was the entire time and how, you know, she told the story of how all she wanted to be when she grew up was to be a hero. And I I thought it was very nice because this whole time with the trailers, you're like, all supers are bad. All supers are bad. And you're like, no, they can't all be bad. And I almost feel, you know, that's another thing with Butcher who he can't accept that Starlight is a good person. So it, I felt like it was very telling, and I I just really enjoyed getting to see a good super that that wasn't worn like the other ones of the seven were. So getting to see her introduction, I was like, man, this changed it up again. This wasn't what I thought, and I thought it was cool. 
And Billy certainly had the preconceived notion that all supers were bad. I mean, he kept that up throughout the whole entire series. And as I kind of said with Huey, I really thought that Starlight was going to be a character I wasn't going to like because I typically don't like those, like, really goody two-shoes because they also kind of fall into a lot of times being the whiny girls who kind of sniffle and they're, like, not really um, standing up for themselves or really doing much of anything. <laughs> I know that's not yeah. bad, but, it, but she developed so well. And as you said, I loved um, – her introduction where you see her training to a barracuda in the background. And then they have that audition. I mean, it was very American idol, which again, was just like the uniqueness of this show just being completely different than any other superhero show that we've seen. And yeah, she really just wanted to be good and do well and help people out. But I also like that she didn't take anyone's shit. She stood up a lot of times, and we'll talk about that um, throughout this, you know, podcast, but I really like that. Tell me if her relationship with her mother automatically seems more so like one of those pageant mothers where this mother really wanted all of this for herself and, you know, was using that with her daughter. I feel like that, too, because uh, when the mother's talking, like, oh, and then, you know, so-and-so said, well, my daughter's becoming a doctor, and I said, and they're like, I wanted to say, who cares? My daughter's one of the seven. And it was to the point that after the trauma that Starlight went through, she couldn't even tell her own mother. It's like, how would any girl, any boy feel if they were sexually assaulted and then couldn't tell their own parents? because, oh, that's going to ruin their little fantasy that they have going on. Right, exactly. And I really felt that with the mom. I mean, I really ended up disliking the mother throughout the series because it really just didn't seem like she cared about her daughter. She just cared where her daughter could get her, pretty much. Um, But going back more so to Starlight's introduction, I like when she was picked uh, for the seven and uh, the one woman who was kind of like a public relations woman was like, oh, uh, you know, fans responded really well to your audition tape. You know, that was really good. It was uh, personable, relatable, hopeful. And Starlight goes, well, I, I meant every part of it, <laughs> you know? And she's like, good, great, keep that up. And Starlight's sitting there going, like, no, I really believe this. It's not an act just to get points pretty much. Or like how they how that woman kept repeating, and that's why we love you. Yes, and that's why we love you. Um, I, I felt even in that scene where she um, uh, arrived to the red carpet, and you heard people going, "I love you, Starlight. I love you," and she hasn't even really been uh, introduced to the seven yet. She hasn't really done anything, and it just kind of shows like. Uh, I guess what you want to say, like media influence and mob mentality, that because Vought was like feeding the public Starlight, that they automatically were just like, I love you, Starlight. And it was just, I don't know, just everything was such a commentary and it was so good. But I loved Starlight throughout this whole entire series. And I don't know if you actually watched the first season of Jessica Jones. But she is actually the girl who Kilgrave 
um, mind controlled at the beginning of the se- uh, of the season and kind of kept throughout that. So she, we that's where we've seen her that. before. Yeah, and she's a fantastic. I think actress. she was so really familiar. Good. She looked so familiar, and I couldn't place where I'd seen her, and I kept trying to look it up because I thought she was. Uh, I I couldn't help but thinking that she would have made a great Captain of Marvel. She would have. She would have. She really, like, uh, she had a great presence of being hopeful, cute, but also a badass. I, I really could see that. Um, I, I like her in this part, and I think after this and after seeing her on Jessica Jones, she's certainly, the actress's name is Erin Moriarty, um, and she is certainly going to stay on, our, on my radar now. I can't talk apparently. <laughs> well, no, you can't, baby. It's okay. I'm so okay. Oh, my God. All right, so I'm going to move to the number seven, and I'm actually going to pick something that Kelly uh, told me, and it's kind of like a blanketed thing, so we have, like, a lot that we could talk about here, Brittany, but it is uh, essentially how, I guess, the downfall of the deep and all of this shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can do that. We can definitely do that. So I, this is the thing about this character, right? First of all, um, apparently in the comics, the Deep is not the one who sexually assaults Starlight. It's actually, from what I read, is Homelander, A-Train, and Black Noir as sort of a... Um, indoctrination into the seven, which is very messed up. But the deep, that was not supposed to be his plot line, but apparently it was something that they told the actor was going to happen after he had already gotten the part. So obviously we see that, that he forces um, Starlight to, you know, do something to him. And that's messed up, you know, completely. Like, what a scumbag. But it was kind of nice in the series to see him get his just desserts, you know, that it wasn't that that, you know, stayed throughout the series, that after that he got kind of, I think technically he's still part of the seven, but he gets out of, he gets sent out of New York City to some, I think, like, rinky-dink little town in Ohio or something where like zero crime happens so pretty much he's not doing anything at all and just one thing after the other I mean he so obviously the deep is supposed to be like a parody of Aquaman right he swims he can breathe underwater and he can talk to uh uh god fish right and we see him throughout the season trying to do things for the sea life. So the one scene where he tries to free the dolphin from ocean world and that goes terribly wrong, or the time that he tries to free the lobster from being sold and the lobster getting stabbed in the head, even though he promised him that he was going to get him out. And just everything that kind of happened to the deep just really to me was like, yeah, you know, you kind of deserve this for what you did because they allude in the series that Starlight was not the first woman that he put his uh, position of power over. So I, you know, 
it, it's funny because he was entertaining in the way that you kind of just like seeing him put in this position where everything goes wrong for him. So I think that this is certainly a broad discussion that we can get into, and I'm going to go to you to ask you, like, what are your thoughts and some of the things that you want to highlight about the deep downfall? I don't know even exactly where to start because it was like one thing after another for him. But I do want to touch on that dolphin scene because the freaking commentary between him and the dolphin <laughs> where, he, like, where the dolphin's hitting on him and he's like, you know, and I'm like, oh, man, he does have a weird thing for fish and like even the dolphins are not fish. But, you know, you feel me. And where he's talking about, oh, well, if I stick my fingers in your blowhole, I'll eat a blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? I'm like, at that point, he goes on about, oh, I'm so upset because this is what the other guys did to me, which I do feel bad for him in that aspect, even though that does not justify what he did to Starlight and all the other women. But, you know, the catalyst of him becoming like that, where they're like, oh, you know, basically calling him a dolphin fucker. And I'm like, well, apparently there was some truth in it because you were very okay with, like, getting it on with some fish and some dolphins, apparently. So, and then the dolphin obviously going through the window and getting ran over. When that happened, I literally started crying and laughing. I was just sitting there, like, with my mouth a little bit open, like, what happened? Yeah, that was, first of all, when he's driving and the dolphin is, um, you know, in the back, which confused the hell out of me because, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know that they're technically mammals, but don't they need to be in water? That dolphin is not in any water. Well, uh, their skin just has to stay, they don't need to be in water for long, but that's why he kept spraying it with water is that they breathe air and, you know, they don't have gills. They have to come up to breathe, but their skin has to stay moist or they dry out and die. So that's why you kept spraying it with a water bottle to, like, keep its oh, skin moist. Okay. That makes sense. So I just thought that, too. yeah, when he's having the conversation with the dolphin and he's like, he's making me really uncomfortable. He's like, all right, if I just stick my pinky in it, will you, will you stop? And he's like, okay, okay. And I was just like, wait, what? Am I not <laughs> uh, the entire I was like, ah. And then uh, I'm trying to think what else is. It just realizing how much of a freaking loser he was. Because at first I was like, even for watching the show, I was like, oh, he's confident. He's, you know, he's domino. I was like, oh, he's going to be bad. And then after you realize how much, as, as Starlight says, which, you know, we'll probably touch on later, it's like he's a no one. He's a loser. He, And I think that goes to say about any person that wants to use their position of power to uh, basically uh, control another person is that they they are a loser. They Normally they're just trying to feel powerful someone because they are. As I said, a loser. Well, yeah, and I mean, we can touch upon it a little, Starlight, in that one scene where they're waiting at the dock for some bad guys who are obviously smuggling drugs. And Starlight says, I asked around, you're not number two, you're just the fish guy. And that really just 
set it off where you realize that, um, and obviously it seems like he has some insecurities. Obviously he says that he is, um, you know, bullied and picked on by the others, as you said, the inflatable dolphin that apparently was put in his bed. Um, and then even that one scene between him, uh, him and Homelander, where Homelander is just, you know, wordlessly threatening him. I mean, that was a very, like, tension-heavy scene. And, um, but, I, oh, God, the one thing I have to point out, because I rewatched the series yesterday just to kind of get prepared for this um, podcast, but there's that one point where he, where the deep is in therapy, and he says to his therapist that he's the diversity hire. And I'm like, you're white. What do you mean you're the diversity hire? Like, I just like, I guess it's a Luther power. I, I guess, but I was just, just I, I don't know. I was, just, but I think that just kind of showed even more so that he has this like very um, unrealistic, uh, you know, what you call this very unrealistic view of himself that he would even say something like that. I don't know. That always stuck out to me. I thought I was like, "Why do you think you're the diversity hire? You're not. Like, what is wrong with you? You're a white person. Like, stop that." I, I, and all I can think is like, okay, because you know some of them are super strong, so I have this, and it's like, oh, you just talk to fish. Like, I oh, guess well, so. it gets uh, like like a thing for like people with uh, not so cool powers. But I was just sitting there. I was like, that doesn't make sense. No, not at all. I guess until we know fully what Black Noir's powers are, because it, you know, it doesn't really seem like he has much right now. And I'm not going to spoil anything for saying what is revealed in the comics, because we already saw that there are a lot of things that happened in the show that didn't happen in the comics, so they could go a completely other route there. So, which I hope um, they do. Yeah, me as well. But um, it's you want to go look that up, that's your prerogative. I'm not going to say anything on this show. But um, I guess the one last thing I wanted to kind of touch upon was the deep. And there's one scene where I'm sure we'll talk about later, so I'm not going to mention that. But I love the lobster scene where he goes to the supermarket and he's talking to this one lobster, um, like, in the in the tank. And he says he's going to get him out. But then when the guy, the, the fish guy, you know, takes the lobster out, which – he, like, kills the lobster right away, and I've never seen a – I don't want to call them butchers because that's with meat, but uh, I'm going to call it a butcher just for, like, the sake of this because I'm not sure really what they're called who work at the fish department like that. But it's like, don't you normally pack up the lobsters alive? But I think that they were just doing that just to more so, like, show that the deep um, – uh, whatchamacallit, that his efforts are for naught always. He's just a loser. I keep going back to that. I'm just like, he's just pathetic. He's very that pathetic. Scene, that scene was so funny because it reminded me of um, my boyfriend, you know, Polly. Because sometimes when we go to the supermarkets, he'll look at the lobster tank and go, I feel so bad for them. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know. It's like when you go to Red Lobster and you see the lobster tank, I'll, I'll feel bad for him, but I'm also like, you're going to be so delicious. My mom definitely doesn't feel bad for them. She passes by and she's like, I'm going to eat you, and I'm going to eat you, and you definitely oh get me. <laughs> I love your mom. She, she's sadistic <laughs> just like you. 
one day we'll talk about the four pound lobster she ate in St. Martin. But um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, so I just went. So uh, Brittany, number six. What you got for us? Oh, I'm like trying to sit there. I'm like, uh, I'm gonna go with translucent death. Okay. That's great. I'm glad that you that we're talking about this on the show. Go ahead. Oh, I hear the traffic. I was like, they're burning down <laughs> Yonkers again. Um, but uh, I, I'm going with it. Actually, I just want to touch on everything kind of with translucent because at first, I, I love when he makes the point where he's like, you know, that isn't my true power, like, you know, him being reflective and being able to go invisible, because you're like, translucent is like a weird name for that, because you're not translucent, you're like completely like see you are invisible, and he sits there and he's like, you know, my true power is, you know, I can read people, which makes sense, because it's like saying like, oh, I see through people, basically, like they're translucent, but getting to see him in the cage and where he's picking Huey apart, and I love Frenchie's sheer excitement when he figures out, oh, I know how to kill him now. <laughs> and you're like, what? What? And he's kind of like, he says, like, oh, I'm kind of uncomfortable. I was like, wait, he's talking about shell casing. I'm like, and he obviously can talk. And then when they're like, oh, we shoved it up your butt. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Like, what? And getting to see where, uh, you think Huey's going to let him go. And, and Translucent does seem kind of, like, honest when he's like, hey, you know, you'll end up fine from this. And basically saying, like, you're not that kind of guy. And then just, I was like, man, he's really letting him go. And when he held it up, I was like, Huey's actually going to kill him. He's mm-hmm. actually going to kill him. And then when he blows up and you see the chunks of metal basically going everywhere and just the blood on him. And then later on with Huey's, like, I kind of found it exhilarating. I was like, okay, we have a sociopath in the making, but that's cool. (laughs) That's great for character development. But I just like Translucent because he was awful, but, you know, you find out he has a kid. You find out, you know, all these things. And it, it kind of gave the point where I guess it opened my eyes to the beginning of, everything's not black and white. The supers aren't just bad. You know, they're not just good. It's kind of like you feel like Butcher is this ultimate good that he's doing it. But you realize, you know, he's very prejudiced against anybody with superpowers. He, and you're just sitting there and you're like, man, they're not all bad. And you almost come to that by yourself. But I felt like translucent with that was a good indicator, even though he was messed up, you know, sitting uh, naked in the bathrooms, which is disgusting. But you realize, man, maybe this isn't all I thought it was. It's not exactly what has been fed to me from the beginning in the trailers. Yeah, and, you know, Butcher kept referring to Translucent as America's sweetheart. And we saw uh, we saw Translucent on Jimmy Fallon, so it's kind of obvious that he you know, maybe had had even more so of, like, a public presence that maybe even the others didn't have because I can't see Homelander on Jimmy Fallon. I think that, you know, Translucent probably did that more so. But, yeah, I mean, first, I have to get this out of the way because it's so funny. I saw this one meme where, you know, because Huey obviously asked Tom Translucent, 
and someone was like, the boys did what um, Avengers Endgame didn't do. Because remember the whole, like, uh, theories that everyone was saying that Ant-Man was going to go small oh. and go up <laughs> go up Thanos' ass and just get really big and, like, yeah. I was like, okay, they told, a, they told a, a, an Ant-Man and Thanos pretty much. But, um, yeah, I really thought that they were going to let Translucent go at some point because Huey just didn't seem like the type of guy that was going to do something like that. And it really seemed like he was – that Translucent was talking his way out of it. I really liked that Translucent in the small amount of time that we saw him. He was obviously a creep because he was constantly naked in bathrooms watching people. But then we kind of saw he was, like, talking to Huey that, you know, you, you're not this guy, don't do this pretty much. Um, or even um, I like the fact that Translucent was the one who found the chip. And he was the one who went to go even confront Huey in the first place. I mean, it was the whole, it, again, it was the catalyst for everything, you know, that and Robin's death. But I think Huey just felt like he needed to rip off the Band-Aid and he needed to stop, I guess, being predictable because he saw that, obviously, Translucent was picking apart saying that Huey wasn't this type of guy you know, even Butcher and Frenchie were kind of babying him at some point, and he's like, no, like, I, I'm i going to do this. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. And he just he just presses that button, and Translucent goes everywhere. I was like, oh, shit. Um, and, yeah, as you said, Brittany, I loved uh, Frenchie's excitement at the revelation that he finally got it. <laughs> Oh my god! I I like that people are so excited about uh murder. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I feel like that was kind of a common theme in this uh in this show. <laughs> Sorry about that. Bless you. Thank you, thank you. But I I I really liked that whole thing. I mean, I thought about it. it was like, oh, like that sucks. They literally had to shove a bomb up his ass. Um. And the thing is, is that Translucent just kind of walked away, and I know that Billy said that, like, if he tried to, like, essentially fish it out, it was going to blow, but I would not be comfortable just walking out of there with a bomb in my ass. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, well, anything for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's um, anyway. awful. But, uh... <laughs> But I, I, I think that this was a great pick. Um, and I guess we sort of uh, saw more of Translucent in little flashbacks, but not really because, you know, he was always invisible. But, yeah, um, I really liked it. And, again, Butcher kept calling him America's sweetheart. So, you know, that was kind of the thing, that people were going to be pissed knowing that Translucent was dead. And I think as – I forget who mentioned it, but – that it was also a very scary thing for, say, Vought, because it did show that the suits were vulnerable. That's what gets this. I'm like, it's all about, you know, the appearance. And, I, you know, it's a great commentary, like, on celebrities for us, where it's like they get away with everything. Hardly ever. You think if uh, we got 12 DUIs that they just let us go? No. Exactly, exactly. So um, I really like that. Uh, great middle choice here. I'm going to hit number five. And 
this was not originally on my list, but the more I was thinking about it, I decided that I'm going to put it down. So it is Starlight and her speech at the Believe Expo. Because that, first of all, that was a great, like, episode in general because we see Starlight and she's obviously, I'm going to assume, I forget, from like some Midwestern state in America and she's explaining that she obviously grew up with Christian values and they kind of always did this whole like Christian um, expo circuit and that these people were really her people. But I like that they showed that like she was looking at things kind of with, say, fresh eyes, that maybe she wasn't so maybe blinded by her mother's influence and even this, like, very hopefulness that she had previously. You know, she now is part of the seven. That whole situation with the deep has occurred, and she's going to the Leaf Expo. And I pointed this out once before that I liked they showed her kind of looking at that one booth right, that said the one man, one woman equals marriage thing, and she goes to her mom, this wasn't there previously, and her mother's like, yeah, no, it's it's always been there, and she's just kind of like, what the fuck, um, and I like that about her, she kind of really seems like she was seeing this expo for the first time, and not realizing that there were some maybe toxic things about it, because first of all, you had that, then you had Ezekiel, who was essentially this soup who had stretching abilities, who was sitting there preaching, you know, pray the gay away. But then we see him having uh, sexual relations with several men in the first episode, so just being an absolute hypocrite. And I just kind of liked that they were exposing the truth on all of this. And so at the very end of that, where she's supposed to go up on stage and have that big-ass speech where she talks about believing in God and, um, you know, this, this, and that, and her just like, no, 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 I, I can't. I'm reading off of a screen right now, and I, yes, I still love God, but uh, this is bullshit, and, you know, no one knows really all the answers and blah, 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 and I love her just going, you know, having sex before marriage isn't immoral. What is immoral is the guy who shoved his dick in my face. And I was like, wow, she is exposing it. She is like, and first of all, the deep was at home watching it and just looked so fucking terrified that she actually said it um, on stage and obviously it was being televised. And my favorite thing of that whole entire speech was not only Starlight just getting up there and refusing to lie anymore, but that Huey was the only one who was clapping for her because he was just so, like, amazed and mesmerized and proud that she decided to kind of cut the bullshit, stop being what everyone else wanted her to be and just being what she was because she was tired of it, you know? She was tired of it already. She was tired of them forcing that, like, ultra-sexy costume on her. She wanted to wear her old costume. And I just loved it. I love this scene um, completely. And, Brittany, I'd love to know your thoughts on it. I, I know I keep going back to it, but I, I do love the commentary of how everything is not automatically how you assume because, you know, it's – I like that Starlight – can be like we're just like yeah she's religious and you know a lot of things 
Oh, people are like, man, you know, Christians are those Bible something. They hate the gays. They hate this. They hate that. You know, and it's that that thing. But she's going there and being like the exception, and how people have a preconceived notion for all the like these different kinds of prejudice. Where she's like, yeah, I love God, but also like sex before marriage is you know not immoral. You know, there's so many other worse things. You know, and being like not afraid to speak about those things and like having her eyes opened and I think it was powerful that you know she does talk about everything that bothers her and it's like she doesn't care about losing the job and and it's like she was brave enough to talk about you know being sexually assaulted by the dean you know all these things I thought it was a great commentary of like how it keeps going back to back and forth that not everything is what it seems and kind of giving that mouthpiece for it and uh i do i do like that starlight started off as like this sweet character that you're like oh she you know she you would think her to cower back at a lot of these things or be very miserable but it's like no she's just tired she don't care if she gets fired that's the worst thing she doesn't even like the job she'll just go back to doing what she was doing and being able to do her speech and just like you said deep like uh oh shit moment like oh man i'm screwed and i do love huey's just like absolute adoration for her where he's like yeah this is great and I did after the scene with like the mother and everything. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how that scene went. Where she's like, all that she was getting from it was that, uh, oh, you can't tell children, you know, sex before marriage, blah blah. And she's like, that's all you got from that. Not like the sexual assault. And well, yeah. Well, I love that even before she went on stage, she told her mother that she couldn't go up there and her mother's like do you know how long like I've waited for this and she goes this isn't about you and she's like isn't it she's like all the things that I've done for you throughout the years to get you where you are now and it's like oh shit like and again just really made me dislike the mom even more I'm like you really just don't care about your daughter because any like normal sensible mother would be like if you're uncomfortable you don't have to do this you know like, but she just wanted that fame and notoriety pretty much. But um, I, I just, I love Starlight going up there and speaking her truth and just, you know, revealing what she wanted to reveal in that moment. And I really liked the scene afterwards between her and Huey because Huey was obviously blown back and taken away. But Starlight was still upset because she thought at that moment that maybe Huey only wanted to be with her for the perks. Because if you remember, he had asked her to get him an exclusive with Ezekiel, which he, of course, said to her was because he was a big fan. But in reality, he was doing it to blackmail um, Ezekiel. And him just, like, revealing to Starlight, like, my girlfriend died. You know, I I thought that this was going to bring closure and, you know, some peace, and it didn't. And they had that really nice moment together. So in a whole, as a whole, I just love the whole Believe Expo uh, storyline. Uh, uh, with the mother, just a quick touch on that. It reminds me whenever, um, whenever like a daughter gets married and the mother's like, the mom's dilla is like, 
well, you know, I've waited for the, like, where they're living through them. They're like, well, I didn't get to have a proper marriage. So this is like me getting to have my second one. It's like, bro, let your kids live. You had a life. Sorry that you didn't get to do what you wanted. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, and and obviously we find out uh, later on that uh, none of these uh, superheroes are born super able, as they call it. They were injected with compound B as babies. So, you know, no no one forced the mother to do that because she reveals that she didn't even get paid for it. They just paid for, like, the medical bills and shit. But she didn't get paid for letting them essentially experiment on her daughter. So, like, no one forced you to do that. So to me, it's like you making those quote-unquote sacrifices doesn't mean shit to me. (laughs) You know, just to be super harsh about that. It's kind of like motherhood isn't a transaction of like, oh, I I do this and this and this is what I receive back. It's supposed to be like a selfless thing of like, hey, I have a child because I love them and I wanted to have a piece of me to like raise and love. And it's not like, well, I can't wait for them to take care of me when I'm older, like a retirement plan. She just pretty much wanted to kick back and enjoy the money that was coming Starlight's way. So um, screw the mother (laughs) is what I got to say. But uh, all right. Uh, Brittany, if you got nothing else to say about that pick, you're going to hit the number four slot. I'm going back and forth, but I think I'm going to leave the other one for the number two slot. But uh, I'll go with uh, going back to Starlight again. But uh, when she saves the girl from being raped, because she goes back to her roots where she didn't care. She didn't have to have it set up. She didn't care about the the laws of like, oh, you have to make sure, you know, that was actually what was happening. And her just beating the hell out of those guys and the girl running off and her getting recorded. And, you know, the PR people are like, oh, you, you know, the lady that's like, you, you know, then where's the girl? And all it just shows you is just beating up two people and you're like alter ego. You know, now everybody knows who you are and they're saying you're bulimic in school and, you know, all these things. And then they turn around and they're like, oh, you know, that girl that you said was being, well, she came forward because she saw the video and look how high your points are. And it's like, and Starlight didn't care about it. I thought that was so crazy because it was just her trying to do the right thing. But because, oh, it wasn't done right, or it could be misconceived in the media. You know, you're you're bad. You know, you may not have a job after this. And it's like, what? What? I just thought it was craziness. Yeah, I loved how the whole uh, view on it swayed pretty much with public opinion, you know? Um, at first, they hated it because, you didn't uh you didn't have your costume on, you didn't make sure that there was PR there, you didn't get her name, you didn't get this, you know, it was all a big show and Starlight's just sitting there going, I just wanted to make sure that this girl didn't get raped. And you saw yeah. that Starlight, you know, went back to her like um uh ground level, street level roots because that clearly was what she was doing back at home, kind of patrolling. Very Jessica Jones. Yes, yes, very Jessica Jones. And she, and especially after, you know, either way, Starlight most likely would have done that. But even after what Starlight went through with the deep, 
she wasn't going to let something like that happen to this girl when this girl clearly didn't want anything. And those two douchebags were like, oh, we're friends, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no. She And when she goes to the girl, she's like, uh, miss, if you just close your eyes right now, because she was going to blast those two dudes away. And that was just fantastic. But as you said, Brittany, um, after that, at first they hated it, and then suddenly, oh, it, it reacted, you know, it was received so well among um, social media and this and that, and your points are up, and this is wonderful. This is why we love you. I mean, you saw that one PR girl, how easily she flipped and how kind of like fake all of it was because she was pissed at Starlight. She was pissed at first, and then suddenly she was like, this is why we love you. You're so amazing. And I was like, all of this is so fake. I mean, you know, we sit there and we kind of um, mock celebrities when we go, oh, stop complaining pretty much. You know, fame isn't hard. But then you watch something like this and you're like, you know what? I would get pretty effing sick of fame if this is how it was like. Yeah, exactly. So, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, uh, I love when they're like, you're up with men because, you know, the ass kicking, but you're up with women because of women empowerment. I was just like, what? What is this, YouTube statistics? <laughs> Listen, I got into a mild argument on Twitter yesterday. I know, Twitter fights, like, so petty and pathetic, but... Um, <laughs> But, you know, that, and not to get too, like, far into it, but, you know, that all-female scene in Avengers Endgame, and people still sitting there going, it felt so forced, and why was there a need for it? And these stupid social justice warriors, and I was like, it was a badass scene. Like, stop getting your panties in a bunch over it. And it's like, you know, I think that even that scene in The Boys is kind of a commentary that, like, you have to almost justify it to make it seem not feminist, you know, oh, the men liked it because it was ass-kicking, but they didn't love it because she was saving someone, you know what I'm no. saying? Like, it's just absolutely ridiculous. I love this show because they just weren't afraid to call people out on their shit. <laughs> this is like all this stuff with the media lately. I'm just like, can we just stop? Can we just stop and just like put it away a little bit but I did see your Twitter I did see your Twitter thing I had like an update and I was like I was like what's cheating going on about now (laughs) I know I never want to be one of those people who like goes on and on but I just hate that people feel a need to pick that part of me that to pick apart that scene because no I understand it was such an awesome scene and I, I just feel like no one makes a commentary when say there's like an all male mashup in a movie, but you know, God, the girls are getting together, you know, uh, obviously it has to social justice warriors. And I'm just like, fuck off. (laughs) And the moms were coming to save their baby Spider-Man. And in that moment, all the weeboos who are listening to this have shut off the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> Good. No, <I'm> sorry. <laughs> but, uh, let's move on. Um, so yes, love that team. We have a lot of Starlight 
moments on this list. Oh, I know. I just adored her. I adored her. But for my number three, I am going to pick a character that we have not mentioned at all on this podcast yet. And it's a brief scene, but I still loved it regardless. And it is the female versus Black Noir. Because there is so much to, um, and we find out obviously that her name is Kamiko, but I believe in the comics and then throughout the series that she was just kind of referred to as the female. Um, and she's so mysterious, right? There's so little that we actually know about her. And she can't speak and the way that they found her, but she's obviously super powered and just <laughs> vicious. Like, I would not want to be on the receiving end of that lady. And we obviously see at some point the one guy who ended up killing himself because he'd rather die that way than being torn apart by her. But that shit was scary. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> they know her. They know how bad she is. So if he's doing that, maybe I should hide. This uh, show did not hold anything back at all. But the fight scene between her and Black Noir was great because her and Frenchie are leaving and Black Noir, you know, kind of swoops down in a very, and Juwan points this out that it was very uh, much like Batman uh, fashion because he was, you know, jumped down on the car and just kind of got there and he's all mysterious and shit. And it looked like Frenchie was done for. And then the female just kind of knocks Black Noir on his ass. And she pretty much is just kind of like, not with words, but saying to Frenchie, like, leave. So, you know, I got this. And they have that like epic little fight where they're kind of going toe to toe. And then all these like blades are coming out and shit like that. And she gets a few in there with him too. But I mean, I really thought she was done for at some point when, um, Black Noir, you know, stabbed her in the foot, and then he just, like, sliced that freaking blade, like, all up her body. I was like, no, it was like, we barely got any of her, and you saw how much Frenchie, like, adored her. So I started tearing up. It. I legitimately teared up. I was <laughs> like, no! <laughs> no, I know, it was so sad. Um, And Black Noir just runs off, and Frenchie you know, it was so sad because Frenchie, like, took his coat off, put over her because he at least, you know, like, wanted to be respectful. But obviously she has some sort of healing powers because everything sort of went back to being the way it was and she was alive again. So that was just surprising to me. And I know it's such a little scene, but I really liked it. I wanted to not only highlight the fight because it was pretty much the only time we saw Black Noir in action, but also mentioned the female because we went pretty much this whole entire podcast without mentioning her, which is a crime because she was also just a fantastic character. I um, I was going to say, I wanted to bring up Black Noir at some point, so I feel like this is a good point to like talk about all of it. Because uh, I actually had Kimiko on my list of for something else, but I, I kept going, oh, well, I like this scene better, and I like this scene better until, you know, there's only 10 slots. And, you know, when it's both of us, it's like, oh, five scenes, five scenes each. So, you know, which ones are going to win? But I love that scene. It was very reminiscent of uh, the movie Logan, 
with yeah. uh, the healing powers and how savage she was, like the little girl from there. I can't remember her name right off the hand. But uh, just the pure savagery of getting to see her where, you know, if, you know, uh, Frenchie's uh, investment of love in uh, Kimiko <laughs> to come back and how she actually did want to save him. And it was like, she was savage. And you got to think, you know, going toe-to-toe with, uh, you know, uh, Black Noir, when you think about it, too, that just goes to show how awesome he is in combat, too, because he was, like, going toe-to-toe with her and still won, you know, how how he's so talented. But you don't get to see much of Black Noir, so to get to see a fight scene with him, of him going toe-to-toe with the one everyone's terrified of was pretty awesome, but... uh yeah, when she got the gash through her, I was horrified. I was like, oh, no, she's dead. She's gone. Mm-hmm. Frenchie's going to be sad. I was like, that's the end of this. And I was like, oh, yeah. I kept thinking, I was like, what a waste. You had so much, like, potential there. And then whenever she starts gasping and he's like, what? And pulls the coat back and you see it healing. I was like, oh, my God, she's alive. She's alive. <laughs> and Frenchie's love is back. And, uh which, by the way, that whole love triangle with uh, Frenchie, Kimiko, and uh, he calls her Cherie was hilarious. Cause I kept thinking, mm, she's going to rip his balls off if she finds out about Kimiko. Oh, yeah, that other woman, which I had mentioned during the review show, that I, like, mildly loved her just because she was so kind of willing to do whatever. I mean, he said that they were going to blow up the building, and she's like, oh, fine, I'll be ready in two seconds. Or she tells him that they've been burned, and she, like, immediately hangs up and, like, breaks the phone. Or when she, like, grabs Frenchie by the balls, I was like, I love this woman. But she is not going to be happy when she finds out about Kamiko. But I, as tough as she is, I do not think she can go toe-to-toe with uh, Kimiko, so she may want to just back down, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I keep wondering, is she a super, is Sherry a super because her eyes are all freaky? Um, I don't remember that. It could be just one of those things where she may be wearing contacts or something like that. I'm not entirely sure, but um, uh, yeah, I don't know. We don't see much of her after that whole scene kind of in, like, the restaurant where she grabs Frenchie's balls and she's like, when do I see you again? And he's like, soon, my love, soon. (laughs) I feel like I'd be telling her whatever she wanted to hear at that point. (laughs) Exactly. She had your your, uh, manhood in a desperate, but uh, obviously we had that, like, romance brewing between him and Kamiko, which was just so, it was so nice, you know? We got to learn a little bit more about Frenchie's backstory. We saw that Kamiko, you know, at one point they were baking together and then she was uh, painting her nails. I mean, it was just very cute, you know? It was really nice to kind of get that, like, fleshed out development with her, even though she never said a word. And that was cool, you know? Like, that was cool that you could get all that, even though she didn't speak at all. Which, kudos to that actress for that, too. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, no, um, I don't necessarily know her name. I don't even want to, like, insult her by trying it. But she is the woman who played um, Katana in Suicide Squad. 
So there you go. What? Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, as you said, I love the fight between her and Black Noir. That was just a great fight to see. I want to see more of it in season two. Um, I definitely want to know more about Kamiko in season two. It seems like at some point she did have the ability to speak because we see at some point her sitting in front of the mirror and just kind of like trying. Like she was like, ha, you know, Um, but that was about it. So I think that maybe when she was injected with compound V that something happens to her vocal cords perhaps. And maybe she's selectively mute because they say when you go through a big trauma that even under, like, threat of death that they can't speak, like they can't force themselves to speak, that nothing will come out. And it's one of those things It's like a psychological trauma versus focal cords. So I almost wonder if through the trauma of doing that, that it's like maybe one day she will be able to speak, but maybe it's just from, like, the sheer stress and trauma that she's been through that's making it impossible to speak. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I guess we'll just have to find out and wait until season two for that. But um, all right, Brittany, I will shoot you over for the number two slot. What you're going to say, I'm going to shoot you. And I was like, well, okay, thank you. No, sorry. But uh, I, I, I'm afraid this is going to be your number one, but I have to go ahead and say uh, it's the plane scene with Homelander and uh, Queen uh why can't I think of her name? Wait, what Queen is Maeve. Queen uh, Maeve. I wanted to say Meridia or something like Maeve. <laughs> Queen Maeve. That whole scene was horrifying. It made me so sick to my stomach that I literally had to fight with myself not to turn the TV off. Because like I said, you know, I watched like the first six episodes like all in one day. And I went to bed at three in the morning and I was just sitting there like, I'm done with this episode. I don't, I don't want to watch this anymore. Because the sheer terror of all these people, like, oh, we're going to be saved, you know, and then slowly realizing, oh, they're leaving. And he's like, oh, we're not leaving. And Queen May's like, you know, you know can you find down? He's like, 121 times? Or, like, the wind resistant of, like, oh, well, can't you lift the plane up? And he's like, what am I going to stand on? You know, and in this wind, I was just like, this, his his lack of empathy for these people and they just begging like just these two just these two and he's like so we have survivors that know what we did no and it was just so horrifying because especially when the people go to grab for him and him uh turning on his eyes basically like you know i swear to god i'll you know cook all of you i was just like oh great and then them just leaving and watching the little girl and her mother just, like, accepting it was just, like, sickening. And just them watching afterwards, it's just like, I was done after that. I was like, I don't know if I want to finish the show. <laughs> uh, this is not my number one, so I'm glad that you picked it. And he, his line was, sit down or I'll laser each and every one of you motherfuckers. Um, oh shit! Yeah, this scene. So you had gotten to this episode before I had, and you were saying how traumatizing it was. And when you first mentioned the plane scene, 
I thought that you were talking about the scene from season, uh, not season, from episode one where Homelander slices the plane um, with the governor in it, which was also traumatizing because there was a kid on board. Um, uh, you know, Homelander needs to control those eyes of his because there was absolutely no, absolutely no reason for that to have went down the way it went down. He's very careless and reckless when it comes to that because he could have stopped that terrorist without doing that, you know? And and I hate to sound bad, but maybe the guy would have shot that co-pilot, but you would have been able to save all the other people, you know? And yeah. as, as you said, it was horrifying because they get up there, they take down the other terrorists, everyone's all happy, they're saying that they're going to save them, everything's great. And just a slow realization, and Homelander's still sitting there uh, with his thumbs up, and he's like, everything's fine, we're just checking on something, everything's fine, and then he kind of is like, all right, come on, Maeve, like, let's go. And and in that moment, we saw that Maeve is not like the others, because yes, she's jaded, and yes, she takes a lot of the shit, but you can tell that she is not like them. Because she was just sitting there going, We're gonna we're gonna abandon them. Isn't there something that you can do? And as you said, when she was like, Let's just take these two, like let's just take these two, it's fine, like and Homelander's like, you know, don't die on this plane. You know, don't stay here and die with them. And it was it was horrifying because you really just wanted desperately for something good to happen and for it to turn around. But this, again, established that this is not your typical superhero story. This is not, you know, everything good happens in the end. It was tragic. And it it gave me freaking PTSD just watching it. But I did like how it kind of was a commentary on uh, when he said, oh, there's nothing that I can push off from. And you think to yourself, okay, well, then how does Superman do it? And you realize that that was kind of is kind of a, a plot hole when it comes to that. But Juwan has pointed out during our review show that you just try and save some people. You know, maybe you're not going to be able to save all 123 people, but try to at least save some. I mean, tragedies happen, accidents happen, but you could have at least tried to save some. I feel like the media would have reacted just fine knowing that you decided to save the little girl that, you know, out of all of it... You have them sign a non-disclosure, as awful as it is. Yeah, I mean, they did that with so many of the others. You could have just given them an NDA and just been on your way. But in the end, I think that Homelander... First of all, he, he fucked up, you know? He, he completely fucked up in that moment. And I think once that happened, he... Because you saw how quickly he used it as a marketing device. Oh, you know, um, we we arrived three minutes afterwards, and if we were in the military, something like this would never happen again. And just the disgust on May's face when he decided to do that, again, I just really saw that this scene, if anything, was a telling of who Maeve was and how much she is just sickened by all of this. I mean, that, that scene was so intense. And then even afterwards, when they had the moment where Homelander was uh, 
saying all the names of those who had died in the plane crash. I mean, I was like, you mother effer. You're the reason why that plane went down. It was just sickening. I, I just could not handle it. I was like, this is literally the worst thing I've ever seen. It was enough that, you know, me and you, we fly each year. And it was enough that I was like, oh, I'm kind of afraid of flying now. I'm kind of afraid to get on there. <laughs> you know, um, when I go back and rewatch the show, I skip past that scene because I can't good. <laughs> It's too much. It's like, and I almost have to kind of like applaud the people behind this show because as awful as it was, that was the point of it. So congratulations, you got that across, you know? I mean, that's just good at filmmaking. Um, congratulations, we hate you. <laughs> Did you know, by the way, Brittany, really quick interjection, the guy who is behind this show, Eric Kripke, is the creator of Supernatural. What? What? Yeah, yeah, I know. Talk about two completely different um, tones and projects, right? I guess we better expect the boys the last 20 seasons, so buckle in. <laughs> uh, they're already filming uh, season two, so I'm excited. The faster, the better for season two. I have questions and I need answers. But, um, yeah, Brittany, we are towards the end of our podcast. We're getting to the number one and as usual, I'm just going to go through the others, read them out. We're going to do number one, and then we'll do the um, honorable mentions because I have a few as well. But so, number 10 is Robin's death. Number nine is Huey rescuing Frenchie and Mother Silk. Number eight is Starlight's intro. Number seven is The Deep Downfall. Number six is Translucent's death. Number five is Starlight at the Believe Expo. Number four is Starlight saving that girl from being raped. Number three is the female versus Black Noir. Number two is the plane scene. And number one is, I feel like mine is so now insignificant compared to your pick, but I just really loved it, so you got to bear with me here. But my pick is Butcher using that baby um, with the laser eyes to kill those people because I just love that so much. But, um, yeah, so that's my scene with that because then Billy Butcher and Mother Smell, they go into the facility. They obviously see at that point that the Vought is injecting babies with compound D and that super are not, in fact, born with these abilities, but manufactured, essentially, with these abilities. And they see that one baby who can shoot lasers from his eyes, which, uh, watch out, Homelander, that baby's going to come to you one day. <laughs> and um, then the, I guess, their vault agents, I want to say, come to uh, get Mother's Milk and Billy Butcher because they obviously broke in. And Billy having the great mindset that he was going to use the baby and just laser those guys in half. And I love the one moment where the baby's just kind of like sitting there and Billy like shakes him a little and he's like, hey, come on, turn on. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> um, 
which was fantastic. So I really just, I don't know, I kind of wanted Billy to take that child and adopt him as his own. I mean, would you say that this is the only suit that maybe Billy likes? <laughs>
wait, you know, she's not like, oh, just some terrorist. It's like, you know, her family was killed. She just had her brother. They were raised to be soldiers. You know, they were indoctrinated. She tried to take care of them. And it's like, but she's not just a bad person. And then I love with uh, Frenchie telling her, like, hey, you know, if you want, I'll take you to the airport right now. But there's also people like you that are going to be in trouble, and we need to help them. And she just grabs his hand, and I was like, oh, this is literally the cutest thing I've ever seen. Oh, I did love that. I love that Frenchie automatically wasn't afraid to try to communicate with her and didn't get discouraged by the fact that she couldn't talk. He was very much just going at her own pace, which for someone who sits there and says, I have a new woman every night, and it's like, well, you're looking to wipe up with this girl, so clearly you're smitten right now. (laughs) I have a few honorable mentions here. One of them is uh, the showdown between A-Train and uh, Starlight at the end when, you know, because we have that moment where Starlight looks like she's not going to help Huey after all because obviously it's now come out that Huey's lied to her and that he not only killed Translucent, but, you know, he's been working with these other people to take down Soups and he they have, like, that moment where he's trying to just explain everything to her and she walks away from him. But when Huey, um, you know, is in trouble with A-Train, she shows up regardless and saves the day, essentially. So that was really nice. And um, Homelander's end. Um, Homelander finding out, and again, spoilers, if you haven't uh, caught the drift uh, that has spoilers in it, um, but... Homelander finding out that not only is Becca really alive, Becca being Billy Butcher's wife, who he apparently raped, and you were led to believe that she died during childbirth, but he finds out that at the end, and so does Billy, they both find out that Becca is indeed alive. Not only is she alive, the child survived, and it looks like they're living in some suburban house, and the son is, you know, what, like, I think, I guess, like, eight at this moment or something like that, because it was, like, eight years ago, and that's a shocker. That's going to really just, I don't know, stir things up in the next season. In the comics, she does not live. That's the end of her story, how we were led to believe it happened. So this is completely uncharted territory that they don't have source material for. So that's going to be super interesting to see And what's the real story? You know, did Homelander actually rape Becca? Did they have an affair? You know, did she sign an NDA? And that's why she couldn't go back to Billy. I mean, there's so many questions that um, are left unanswered with that. And most of all, did freaking Billy Butcher blow up a baby? I know. I I still want to know. And maybe if it was a super baby, it would have survived the thing. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm assuming that if Madeline uh, Stillwell, who had a very strange relationship with Homelander, if she had a baby, that she would kind of put that baby through compound V as well. To me, that just seems, um, you know, obvious. 
So and, and then she kept whole, saying that she had doctor's appointments that she was putting off, mm, so maybe those were the injections. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. If that's what she kind of meant, because she was gonna also make her baby a super. I just, you know, that whole scene made my like heart stop when uh, Billy had Madeline strapped up to a bomb and. Homelander, who obviously had some sort of weird jealousy with the baby, took Teddy, that was the baby's name, downstairs and put him in the crib right in the freaking living room. And Madeline's just like, take the freaking baby away. Like, what's wrong with you? And then Homelander obviously kills Madeline. And Billy uh, decides, I'm just going to press this button anyway and blow up everything. <laughs> Which, speaking of Billy, I do have one last honorable mention. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the Spice Girls reference. Yeah. <laughs> About you know, how we're 90s all of babies them, here. <laughs> what did you say? Oh, the 90s babies. Uh, I just love when he's like, oh, what's Posh Spice doing? Scary Spice. You know, oh, Scary Spice. It's like, what are they doing? They're, you know, they're useless, but together. They were the Spice Girls. And Frenchie and Mother's Milk just looking at one another. And it ends the fight. It literally ends the fight where they can just agree that Butcher is fucking stupid. Because they said, they go, wow, he's the worst, like, uh, pet talker ever. But then you kind of understand why he even, like, mentioned the Spice Girls because he said that his wife was constantly humming songs of theirs. But Billy is a really bad, not only is he really bad at speeches, but he's really bad in his, like, references, his pop culture references, because he does that thing with the Spice Girls, right? And then he has earlier where he's trying to tell Huey about, like, the Matrix, and he's talking about the red pill and the blue pill, but he's mixing them up. He goes, the red pill, if you take it, you know, you'll just, uh, you know, stay with your, you know, mundane life and blah, blah, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I turn to Paul, and I go, wasn't that the blue pill? And then he's like, or oh, whatever pills it is. Who cares? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, so Billy was the worst, but the best. We love him. Carl Urban did a fantastic job in that role. They all did. I really honestly, Brittany, cannot sit there and say that I necessarily hated a character. Of course, you know, like, say, Homelander was playing the role that he was supposed to be playing, but I thought he did it perfectly. Uh, everything. Like, I felt like all of them were on their A game, pretty much. Except for the mother. We hate her. Even though she made, was good at making well, you hate her, yeah, we hate her. That's true. That's true. I hated her. I wouldn't have minded if something happened to her. Like, even I- Madeline. Even though I called it, I was like, Homelander's going to kill her right now. But I didn't necessarily want her dead. Um, because it's going to be interesting in season two. It's going to be interesting in season two because now they're not going to have, like, her as sort of the, you know, the woman who's, like, rounding them up. So that's going to be interesting. Um, I guess before we kind of wrap everything up really quickly, Brittany, I just kind of wanted to ask you, you know, what are your hopes and what are you wanting to get out of season two of The Boys Since? Not only has it already been confirmed, but apparently they are already in the middle of shooting season two. 
<laughs> I just keep going back. I want more black noir. I want him to have more scenes and have more of a backstory and learn more about him because he is the only one of the seven that you just don't really know much about, and he's mysterious and he's great, but he's also humorous, you know, like with the the piano scene or him trying to drink his drink or like wanting to reach for something, but the waitress <laughs> just walks by. Like he's so funny, but it's like. He's not meant to be funny, but he is funny, and it's just, I, I want more of him. Uh, I want to learn more about, like, uh, how they're going to deal with Butcher and his wife and the kid and Homelander and all these I'm just ready for the future of how the plot's going to go. And I absolutely loved everything with Black Noir. Um, I, I still think my favorite scene is so stupid. But when Homelander brings all of the remaining seven in and he's talking about how much of a disappointment they all are, but then he points to Black Noir and goes, except you, Noir, you've been perfect. And it's like, what does he do? He doesn't do anything. I also love when Starlight's like, oh, you know, blah, blah, and he just looks at her and walks by, like, like, totally ignores her. I was like, what? I know. It's so perfect. Um, I guess what I would say, what I'm uh, hoping for in season two is um, probably what everyone is hoping, just kind of seeing the fallout between Homelander and Butcher and the revelation that Butcher's wife is alive and that there's a child that is Homelander's alive. That, um, I read something uh, from Eric Kripke that he said in season two, uh, Butcher and Huey are going to kind of see that they don't really have so much in common anymore considering Butcher's life is alive. But it's going to be interesting. I really want to see more of Huey and Starlight's relationship. I really hope that that's something that continues and it's not something that they decide to, like, break them up in season two just for the sake of, like, being edgy or something like that. Veronica Mars. Yeah. Looking at you, Veronica Mars. Um, which, thank, thank God, I zombie ended on a happy note. That's all I'm going to say on that. But, yeah, that, I, I'm hoping about that. And I really hope that the deep returns and maybe he just has that, like, newfound sense of humility and looking to maybe change himself because I do truly believe that people can change themselves. He um, seemed very distraught at the end of the movie, kind of realizing just, like, how his actions have kind of ended him up the way where he is, which we didn't ever mention the gill-fucking scene which uh, it was just very, like, just strange and traumatic on its own. I wonder if that helped him change, too, because it was something that happened against his will. It hurt and was something akin to him getting raped. And he's like, man, this is what I've been doing. Well, I do think that that was, like, a moment where, you know, he could have possibly sat there and realized that, he was being put in an uncomfortable situation that he absolutely did not want to be a part of and now realizing that that's what he had put Starlight and I guess other girls through. So I think that it was put in there like as a necessity almost, you know? Um, But 
still that team like freaks me out. But yeah, hopefully we just get more and more um, looking forward to it. I kind of really hope that they don't have the reveal of Black Noir that they have in the comics, but I guess we will wait and see for that. But um, yeah, so everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's top 10 um, from Amazon Prime's The Boys. I'd really like to find out, you know, what you guys loved from this series. And I guess if you have any negatives, you can tell me as well. I'll probably disagree with you, but it's fine. Um, but um, you can, well, before I go on to that, I'm sorry, Brittany, please tell us where we can find you for anyone who is uh, a new listener out there. Say Instagram and Twitter are the exact same at Brittany underscore Hegel. And you can find me there if I, I'll always update if I'm about to do something new on there, and that'll be the first place to know. So that'll be where you can find me. Yeah, and um, I do thank you, Brittany, for being here because uh, you did say before in the pre-show that you believe that you're getting sick. So, and I know that you worked hard these past two days, and that getting up this early is not always the most fun that someone can have on a Sunday morning. <laughs> oh, definitely. It was fun. It was great. I love talking about the boys. But there is a fair chance that I'm about to enter the Odin sleep after this. <laughs> Well, before you do that, we do have to tell listeners that you can find us on Spotify, Red Circle, iTunes. Um, I actually said iTunes this time instead of Apple because I learned, I don't know. Yeah, as you know, I've I've never really owned an Apple product. I was joking. I was like, you can find us on uh, Mac computers. But, uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You can find us all there. Um, all of that is linked at our website, which is Geek Vibes Nation. We do the top ten every Sunday morning, sometimes Saturday nights, but mostly Sunday mornings. Later on, we're doing the Geek Vibes Live at 3, which is our uh, you know new show. We have Monday stuff on Mondays, obviously, Full Court Press, Pro Wrestling. Um, we have a lot of cool affiliations with uh, Scene and Nerd. They do an awesome show. Then every once in a while, we have these guys that do, um, uh, what's it called? Oh, gosh, uh, They Call This a Movie, which is a really fun segment where they take a really terrible movie and just kind of dissect it. But you can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram, Sia Baby. Um, I am a content writer for Geek Vibes Nation, doing all that great stuff. So, yeah, um, just but again, you can find all of this at geekvibesnation.com. And thank you again for listening in. Thank you, Brittany, for joining. And hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Peace.